This week, in a Manhattan courtroom, we started to get a sense of how much it costs to run one of the most successful lobbying operations in the country. The lobbying operation in question here is the National Rifle Association. The New York State Attorney General has brought the NRA and its leaders to court and is accusing them of spending so extravagantly that they violated state laws governing nonprofit organizations. It's a trial that observers like Matthew Lacombe have been waiting years for. It's been pretty highly anticipated for a number of reasons, one of which is that this is an organization that typically doesn't have a lot of transparency into it that is going to have to reveal things about itself as a result of these trial hearings. Matthew wrote a book called Firepower, all about the NRA. He says for decades now, the organization has really been embodied by one man, its CEO, Wayne LaPierre. The only thing, the only way, the best way, the surest way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun, is a good woman with a gun. You've probably gotten to know the tone of the NRA through LaPierre's public appearances. You know, the media elites and political elites, they have mocked me, they've scorned me, they've tried to demonize me. But I'll say this. Whenever a good guy with a gun runs toward the gunfire, the madness stops quickly. LaPierre is one of the people in the courtroom this week. He's really the central figure behind this lawsuit. In opening arguments, he had to sit there and listen as government attorneys called him out for some pretty eye-popping indulgences. Some of the primary accusations against LaPierre are that he would use NRA funds to reimburse himself for personal expenses, including really lavish vacations involving yachts and involving large homes in Lake Como, Italy. He also spent $11 million on private jet flights, apparently. Lots and lots of private jets, which the organization claims was necessitated by security threats against LaPierre. But some of it is pretty hard to justify. There are examples in the filings where, for example, LaPierre had a private jet stop off to pick up his niece en route to a personal vacation, something that cost the organization near $60,000 for a flight that would have been a few hundred dollars via normal travel. And then there are the clothes. Wayne LaPierre really appreciated a good suit. He'd allegedly fly to Beverly Hills to get fitted for them and then send the bill to an NRA contractor who would turn around and charge the NRA. It's a pretty sweet setup, actually. You know, a whole lot of the attorney general's case revolves around Wayne LaPierre himself. The AG's lawyers even joked about the NRA being Wayne's world, <laughs> like the movie. But just before the case started, Wayne LaPierre announced he was resigning from the NRA. Is that going to mitigate the damage here in any way? It's unclear. I think the fact that it didn't come until just last week speaks, frankly, to the extent to which he was able to sort of install loyalists throughout the organization and install loyalists on the board of directors of the organization and push out dissenters, because it seemed to me to be a no-brainer that he would be pushed out earlier as a way to relieve a lot of the pressure the organization is facing as a result of uh, these lawsuits. We should note that the NRA is claiming that, that LaPierre 
decided to resign due to personal health reasons. But at the same time, in a court filing over the weekend, um, the NRA uh, effectively said that this uh, is a signal that they're uh, beginning to take corrective measures. Is the NRA cowed here? I think you're right that the organization is to some degree humbled. I suspect privately it's felt that way for a while, but now it's being forced to, at least to some degree, admit that publicly. Today on the show, how the bill came due over at the National Rifle Association. And when this trial's over, will they still be one of the most influential lobbyists in Washington? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I want to really go through the long, strange journey to getting the NRA into a courtroom like this. Like in the past, you've called Wayne LaPierre, the leader of the NRA until just recently, Teflon Wayne. (laughs) Like allegations just bounced off of him. And I want to talk about why. Like I was surprised when I started looking into this story Just how long you could argue Wayne LaPierre has been embattled or facing some kind of criticism. Like the New Yorker reported that all the way back in 1996, the NRA's finance committee met and they flagged that LaPierre was running the organization into the ground a little bit. So can you tell me about that? Like the seed, like where it started? I'm happy you brought up what happened in the 90s uh, where there was uh, internal fighting uh, surrounding LaPierre even then. There were people worried that he was engaging in this sort of behavior basically at the start of his tenure. Why was LaPierre able to do that? Well, I think there were probably a, a, a couple reasons. One is internally he was a pretty savvy political Operator, He was able to keep a lot of people at the organization happy. And he was able to do that, first of all, by raising a lot of money, even if he was spending it in questionable ways. And second of all, by doing quite well politically. He oversaw a really tremendous period of success in the political arena. And as a result, I think a lot of people stayed loyal to him. And beyond that, he was pretty effective locking in his allies and pushing out dissenters within the organization. Success can cover up a lot of wrongdoing. That success lasted a long time at the NRA. It took 20 years for Wayne LaPierre's unique way of running the organization to spill out into the open. To understand how it all went down, you need to know that LaPierre had developed this partnership with a PR agency known as Ackerman McQueen. Under LaPierre's leadership, the NRA paid this firm tens of millions of dollars a year, and LaPierre's loyalty was allegedly richly rewarded. Ackerman McQueen is the contractor who seems to have paid for LaPierre's fancy suits, for instance. Anyway, after the 2016 election, Some people started to question just how much money Ackerman McQueen was getting. 
which led to a battle for control of the NRA. LaPierre's leadership was openly challenged by none other than Oliver North. You remember him, the disgraced national security advisor from the 80s involved in the Iran-Contra scandal. So stick with me here because this is a somewhat complicated tale that I think sounds like something out of a movie. The NRA has has a, a president position, and that president position, which was briefly held by Oliver North, is typically a, a sort of ceremonial position, typically unpaid. They engage in public relations and fundraising on behalf of the organization. Um, some listeners might recall that, that Charlton Heston, the actor, held this position um, for a period of time. Having said that, Oliver North wanted it to be a little different. And it turns out, although he did not reveal this to the NRA, it turns out that that longtime PR agency, Ackerman McQueen, was actually paying him a salary. So what happened was the NRA uh, uh, started to cut back or attempt to cut back on some of the amount of money that it was paying Ackerman McQueen each year. Ackerman McQueen then uh, uh, basically found a way to get Oliver North to be loyal to it rather than the NRA itself. He then takes this NRA presidency position and he tries to use his role uh, effectively to push out LaPierre. So it was in 2019 when Oliver North went public with accusations of grift. LaPierre won that battle. Uh, Oliver North dramatically was pushed out of the organization. But really what this seems to be is like a three-way battle for control here. And everyone just kind of wants to get paid. Is that fair? I think everybody pretty much just wants to get paid. If the grift that Ackerman McQueen was getting had continued, I don't think they would have ever tried to sort of send in Oliver North to sabotage uh, (laughs) LaPierre. But we should note that, that Ackerman McQueen really was getting a tremendous amount of money from the NRA. It was Ackerman McQueen that was in charge of uh, developing and producing uh, NRA TV, The organization spent so much money on the 2016 election. I think there was a sense that the sort of purse strings needed to be tightened a little bit. Uh, And it seemed obvious that this outside agency getting $40 million a year producing a TV channel, NRA TV, that seemed like an obvious place to start. But it turns out that, you know, Ackerman McQueen had a lot of knowledge of and evidence of, and frankly, complicity in LaPierre's grift. You know, we have to think that those sort of public developments helped lead to uh, the, the the trial that we're talking about today. It's pretty remarkable how many years and how much effort it took to bring this organization to the place it is now. And not just that, but the fact that, like, this investigation didn't start from, I don't know, the most generous of places. It started from a, a bunch of guys just sort of like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, like fighting. Yes, that- <laughs> It, it it basically does feel that way. Um, there were a lot of people who had been getting rich off of this uh, tremendously powerful uh, and financially lucrative organization for a long time. It hasn't turned out great for, for any of them. This case is proceeding during an election year. And traditionally, the NRA has been really involved in American politics quite successfully. So I kind of wonder... What's life like inside the organization right now? Do you know? Uh, the best sense that I think observers have is that the organization right now is 
is a shell of its former self, both because of the departure of so many key people, as well as the sort of gradual decline of its financial resources, both as a result of fewer donations, uh, loss of membership, and tremendous legal expense. The organization simply has uh, less capability when it comes to getting involved in politics than it used to. And that that's not only going to play out in 2024, it also played out in 2020, it also played out in 2022. It, it just isn't quite what it used to be, at least right now, when it comes to direct involvement in elections. How much is the organization spending on lawsuits at this point? I don't know the total, but it wouldn't surprise me if if it's hit the $100 million mark um, at this point. Wow. That's also not to mention um, that the NRA's attorney, William Brewer, has himself been paid pretty exorbitant legal fees uh, to represent the organization. Um, it's hard not to laugh at this because it's a trial about grift and his firm has been paid over $50 million, that firm alone, by the NRA. That's a just a, a ballpark guess, but it wouldn't surprise me if we're talking about $100 million. And again, that's not taking into account the loss of revenue that's come as a result of this. The organization still has a lot of members, but it's but it's lost quite a few. And uh, big time donors are you know less interested in operating through the organization, given the sort of turmoil surrounding it. After the break, the NRA may be down, but can we ever really count it out? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You know, I looked back at what you'd written about this case a few years back. And one of the things you said then was that the New York AG's case might end up bringing the NRA down because the allegations here painted the organization as elite and phony. And that part of the NRA's appeal has always been that joining them meant you were fighting back against the elite but it's hard to make that argument when your leader's flying around in a private jet. In the years since you speculated on all this, has the NRA brand been tarnished among its true believers? I think the brand has been tarnished, even among its true believers. I don't doubt that there's a cohort of very loyal NRA members and supporters out there who really do believe that this is just a political witch hunt. Um, Organizations like the NRA, again, they take a sort of uh, right-wing populist approach to politics. 
They argue that they are defending average Americans against a corrupt elite. And so when outside actors like the the attorney general of the state of New York question their behavior, criticize them, they can in some ways actually use that to their advantage. They can say, look, this is evidence that this sort of elite actor, a lawyer from New York is out to get us uh, and we need to stick together. But a lot of this stuff is so well documented that I do think even some really staunch supporters of gun rights who are longtime members of the organization do see its brand as tarnished. Having said that, the NRA is just they're like the the 800-pound gorilla in the gun rights movement. They have the most members. They have the most history. They're too big to fail? They're almost too big to fail, or at least the costs and the challenges that a rival organization would face in trying to get off the ground would be really high, and such rivals would probably be better off trying to instead gain influence within the NRA and to convert it into something different. Even in its diminished state, uh, it is a bigger and more thoroughly developed organization than any of its rivals. You know, I don't know what is going to happen to the organization moving forward, but I suspect that if it can get its act together and find some strong leaders and get them into positions of power and influence, um, that it will probably retain its status as the, the primary player. The thing that's interesting to me is that, well, I think you really can make the argument that the NRA is on the back foot here, like revenue slid 44% since 2016, membership dropped by a third since 2018. Those are pretty dire numbers. It doesn't feel like the NRA's ideas have faded. And it feels like it's legitimately still a boogeyman for politicians. There's a real paradox here, or at least a seeming paradox, which is that the NRA is simultaneously in the weakest organizational place it has been in a long time. But at the same time, You see the NRA's ideas, as you noted, and you see the NRA's policy commitments uh, in a really strong position. So if you look, especially over the course of LaPierre's tenure, at the spread of basically what we could call permissive gun carry laws, the ease with which people can carry and use weapons, whether concealed or openly, those laws have proliferated rapidly around the country. And then you have a Supreme Court that has become increasingly pro-gun over time. And then I think also, you know, the NRA's ideas have become entrenched in the Republican Party um, in a way that that means that the organization itself, in a lot of cases, doesn't even really have to do all that much because it has some really, really genuine allies. I think what you're saying is like the NRA may have its tail between its legs right now, but in the end, it's kind of still winning. I mean, it depends on what what its goals are. Uh, we could think about two different sets of goals for uh, an interest group like the NRA. One is is organizational maintenance. You like a business, you want to sort of grow over time, uh, and you want to feel like you're in a good position organizationally. It, to be very clear, is not winning that battle. Having said that, we would say that the other main goal of an interest group like the NRA is to achieve policy wins. These organizations are created to push particular policy agendas. And I think you're exactly right that despite all of these organizational woes, the NRA's policy agenda has become increasingly entrenched around the country. You know, organizations grow and change over time. 
Like the NRA has grown and changed itself. It was founded in the 19th century in New York to, I think, improve marksmanship after the Civil War. Basically, the, the Yankee soldiers uh, sucked at shooting in the Civil War until the <laughs> NRA was created to, to try and fix that. Uh, That's a super different mission than you hear the NRA having right now. So I'm wondering if you think the NRA may be about to go through a new evolution of some kind. Like, if you had to guess, what do you think the NRA will be in a decade, two decades? That's a great question. Um, but I, I suspect that the organization, it's too old and it's too entrenched to likely be replaced. You know, having said that, uh, one thing that is notable about our current political moment, uh, and this goes beyond just gun rights, is that uh, uh, politics are really highly polarized. And that has interesting implications for an organization like the NRA, which uh, to some degree has incentives to find itself out on the ideological fringes. So I don't think it's going to become particularly politically moderate because that's simply not where its allies in government are. It's done well politically uh, by, you know, aligning itself with folks like Donald Trump, um, who have had political successes uh, despite being really toxic to, to large segments of the public. It also may limit their impact moving forward. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see um, how it tries to navigate all of this. Matthew Lacombe, I'm really grateful for your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. This was terrific. Matthew Lacombe teaches American politics at Case Western Reserve University. He's also the author of Firepower, How the NRA Turned Gun Owners into a Political Force. And that's our show. If you're a fan of what we're doing here at What Next, the best way to support us is to join Slate Plus. Go on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. What Next is produced by Paige Osborne, Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, and Madeline Ducharme. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back here next time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.